delighted to have with us once again uh, the Reverend John Kraft. John is the uh, campus minister at Rhodes College here in Memphis. Uh, he was with us last week. Um, grateful for his sermon last week and looking forward uh, to God speaking uh, again through his word um, with uh, you, John, as the instrument. So thank you for being here. Appreciate it. So, um, anyway, good morning again. It's uh, Joy getting to be here once again, so apparently it wasn't so bad. Uh, y'all are having me back this week as well. But uh, um, unfortunately, uh, if y'all want to get out your phones, your Bibles, I know that there, are, there is some of this printed on your bulletin. We actually won't go through all of 28, uh, but we will jump around a little bit uh, shortly here, uh, f- a few chapters. Uh, so if you want to go ahead and turn... Um, to chapter 26, I'll actually read one verse from chapter 23, but we're going to read a couple portions from 26 and Acts 27 and, and then get to the main passage. But um, kind of necessary for context uh, for this kind of the end uh, of the book of Acts. Uh, so, so after three missionary journeys, Paul's returning to Jerusalem uh, with a collection that he had taken up, just as we just did, a uh, collection he had taken up from some Gentile churches in the area and, and uh, you know, to return to Jerusalem with that offering. And he plans to travel to Rome and then to Spain. This is, this is what Paul's plan. You know, however, in Jerusalem, uh, Paul is, is persecuted and he is arrested when he comes with his offering. Uh, he then kind of gives his last defense before the Sanhedrin. And, and they go crazy when he talks about uh, God telling him to go to the Gentiles. And, and so uh, they, get, they, they become furious with Paul, um, and, and they've already been persecuting him. And, and to basically save his life, Paul uses his Roman citizenship, and he claims that I'm, I'm actually a Roman citizen, which means that he has protections, and it keeps him from getting killed. And, and so he's, he's in prison, uh, waiting to meet with Romans. And in Acts 23, verse 11, uh, Jesus comes to him and it says, The following night the Lord stood by Paul and said, Take courage, for as you have testified to the facts about me in Jerusalem, so you must also testify in Rome. And so then Paul goes and he comes before a series of government officials, uh, Felix, Festus, Agrippa, where Paul has uh, this exchange uh, w- with a couple of them here in Acts 26, verses 24 through 29. He says this, actually back to verse 22. To this day, I've had the help that comes from God. And so I stand here testifying both to small and great, saying nothing but what the prophets and Moses said would come to pass that the Christ must suffer and that by being the first to rise from the dead, he would proclaim light both to our peoples and to the Gentiles. And as he was saying these things in his defense, Festus said with a loud voice, Paul, you are out of your mind. Your great learning is driving you out of your mind. But Paul said, I'm not out of my mind, most excellent Festus, but I'm speaking true and rational words. For the king knows about these things and to him I speak boldly. For I am persuaded that none of these things has escaped his notice. For this has not been done in a corner. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know that you believe. And Agrippa said to Paul, in a short time, would you persuade me to be a Christian? And Paul said, whether short or long, I would to God that not only you, but also all who hear me this day might become such as I am, except for these chains." 
There he then again, Paul appeals to Caesar and is sent to Rome uh, in these same chains. And Paul tries to warn uh, a centurion that a storm is coming as they're getting on a boat and they should not sail yet, but he is not listened to. So then a storm comes for three days and Paul says uh, in the midst of this storm in verse uh, chapter 27, verse 21, Men, you should have listened to me and not have set sail from Crete and incurred the injury and loss. Yet now I urge you to take heart, for there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. For this very night there stood before me an angel of God, to whom I belong and whom I worship. And the angel said, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar, and behold, God has granted you all those who sail with you. So take heart, men, for I have faith in God that it will be exactly as I have been told." Okay, so sorry, that was the context, and now we're actually going to get to our passage. And before I read uh, the, the chapter 28, uh, let me again go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, I thank you uh, for your word as we look at kind of uh, a sort of uh, this, this interesting trip that Paul goes um, from Jerusalem to Rome. Lord, I pray that you would speak to our hearts this morning. You would encourage us with your gospel. Praise to your name. Amen. Okay, chapter 28, verse 1. And this is Luke speaking in the first person. After we were brought safely through, we then learned that the island was called Malta. This is the island they crashed on. The native people showed us unusual kindness, for they kindled a fire and welcomed us all, because it had begun to rain and it was cold. When Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and put them on the fire, a viper came out because of the heat and fastened on his hand. When the native people saw the creature hanging from his hand, they said to one another, No doubt this man is a murderer. Though he has escaped from the sea, justice has not allowed him to live. He, however, shook off the creature into the fire and suffered no harm. They were waiting for him to swell up or suddenly fall down dead. But when they had waited a long time and saw no misfortune come to him, they changed their mind and said that he was a god. Now in the neighborhood of, the, of that place were lands belonging to the chief man of the island named Publius, who received us and entertained us hospitably for three days. It happened that the father of Publius lay sick with fever and dysentery, and Paul visited him, visited him and prayed, and putting his hands on him, healed him. And when this had taken place, the rest of the people on the island who had diseases also came and were cured. They also honored us greatly, and when we were about to sail, they put on board whatever we needed. Okay, let's go down to verse 14, actually. And so we came to Rome, and the brothers there, when they had heard about us, came as far as the forum of Appius and three taverns to meet us. On seeing them, Paul thanked God and took courage. And when we came into Rome, Paul was allowed to stay by himself with the soldier who guarded him. So now Paul is, is kind of calling everybody together, all the Jewish leaders together in Rome. And in verse 20, he says, For this reason, therefore, I have asked to see you and speak with you, since it is because of the hope of Israel that I am wearing this chain. And they said to him, we have received no letters from Judea about you, and none of the brothers coming here has reported or spoken any evil about you. But we desire to hear from you what your views are, for with regard to this sect, we know that everyone it is spoken against, everywhere it is spoken against. And when they had appointed a day for him, they came to him in his lodging in greater numbers. From morning till evening, he expounded them, testifying to the kingdom of God and trying to convince them about Jesus, both in the law of Moses and from the prophets. And some were convinced by what he said, but others disbelieved. And then finally down to verse 30 and 31. He lived there two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. I 
I appreciate y'all bearing with me with the multiple switches uh, of uh, the multiple passage we read there. Um, I, I don't know how many of you uh, have read this novel, but in one of the commentaries on Acts uh, by a professor named Dennis Johnson, he, he talks about uh, the novel Children of Men by P.D. James. It's a novel that I've read and enjoyed. I also really enjoy the movie, though, again, the movie is R-rated, so just fair warning. Uh, but it was a movie that came out a few years ago, Alfonso Cuaron, who actually just won a directing Oscar Academy Award. Uh, he was the director of this movie. And, and this movie uh, is very interesting when, when thinking about our kind of modern times. Uh, because actually it's a society that takes place in 2021, so not too far away. Uh, it was far away when it was written. Uh, but where everyone basically becomes sterile. That, that kind of the world we live in, there's no, lo- no longer can anyone have children. And, and, and so in a world where there is no youth, where there is no children, or where there is no babies, uh, you know, people slowly um, in this kind of dystopian world become cynical. Uh, they, they slowly become, you know, kind of more selfish, that they no longer have any kind of sense of hope, uh, you know, and so what they do is they just kind of seek out kind of immediate comforts and pleasures in this life and, and forget about things like justice and virtue, you know, or pursuing truth in any kind of manner. And people just begin to kind of live for themselves these kind of like sort of, you know, all pleasure, but no hope kind of lives. Um, in fact, kind of the government motto of this kind of uh, culture in this Children of Men novel, uh, the government kind of says security, comfort, and pleasure. That's kind of like the winning motto by the government. And so because of all the sort of surrounding kind of brokenness and lack of hope or any kind of future, you know, all anybody wants is kind of that immediate personal security, that immediate comfort, that immediate uh, sort of gratification of pleasure. Basically, in a sense, another way of looking at it is, is people are wanting freedom. But what are they wanting freedom from? They're wanting freedom from fear. You know, they're wanting freedom, comfort. They're wanting freedom from want. You know, they're, they're wanting freedom from boredom. These are the kind of the things, sort of, they live in this kind of world of consumerism in this novel. And, and kind of one of the things that you know, I like about the novel is kind of reflecting on how I live today and, and how often our modern society thinks that way. And I think about me on a Monday morning, like tomorrow morning when I get up, you know, what am I going to think? What is the process of starting my week going to be? Oftentimes it's going to be me being consumed with myself, with, with what I'm doing, with my agenda and, and thinking about how I can live that week so that I, I will kind of avoid any kind of discomfort that I'll avoid, you know, anything awkward, that, that I'll kind of avoid rejection or, or vulnerability, and, you know, kind of how can I go about my life so that I, ri- that I don't have to risk failure, that I don't have to feel pain. You know, what, what are those things going on in my life or in my heart that I can just kind of compartmentalize back, you know, in kind of this box, you know, in my brain to kind of like put away somewhere and not think about and, and I'm not saying, you know, it's funny because this is, I'm talking about this novel, and Dennis Johnson, his commentary, talks about this novel by P.G. James as kind of science fiction, uh, but really it's not this kind of crazy culture that, that I think this is how most of us live, or at least how I live, that, that it's not crazy to like 
to want to be free of all these broken, hard things. You know, it's actually normal. It's part of kind of how we're hardwired to avoid these things. And I, I continue to hear from my road students over and over again, you know, what they want. When I ask them what they want, they, they kind of, in a sense, say this thing that we desire, you know, this place where I can feel safe, where I can, where I can be myself, and where I can be happy. That I want this safe place where I can actually be me, be, be who I am, and be known, but be happy. And, and, and be accepted. And, and here, when we look at the Acts passages that I read, especially in chapter 28, we see the Apostle Paul without any of these things that I'm talking about, without any comfort, without any security, without any pleasure. No, he has no security. He often comes close to death, you know, in the chapters before the chapters we read and then in the chapters we, we did read. Uh, there's little comfort. You know, he's hungry. He's beaten. He's hated. He's ridiculed. He's disregarded. And we see him in pain. He's cold. He's sick. He gets bitten by a snake. And the, almost the entire journey we're reading, though it's hard in our modern concept to think about this, almost all these interactions that we read quickly, and if you read all five or six of the last chapters of Acts, it is a man naked in chains doing all these things. You know, he is very, very in pain and uncomfortable. And so I kind of asked the question from my own heart, why the difference between Paul, you know, and and in a sense, the early church that we read about all throughout Acts, why the difference between Paul and us? You know, why does Paul seem uh, to have so much joy and to actually be so alive with, with all these horrible things happening to him, you know, and compared to, to me and my first world problems that I have all the time. And, and so just very quickly, I want to talk about three things that Paul has here, that Paul has an identity in Jesus and that that identity drove him to be a part of Jesus's mission and that he had a certain hope of his future with Jesus. So those are the three things we're going to look at this morning. So the first thing about why, why is it so hard to relate to Paul here? Why does he seem so different? Is because we so easily as Christians forget our identity. We forget the truth of our reality in Christ. You know, Paul understands uh, this identity in Christ. Um, the entire letter he writes earlier in his life to the people of Rome in Romans is about this very thing that throughout that entire letter and actually throughout many of his letters, you know, we get over and over again in Christ, with Christ, of Christ, you know, all the prepositions you can find in Christ. And, and, and he, Paul's trying to get across to us that he has complete security, that, that we sang it earlier, that all the worth he will ever need is in Christ and that he's never going to lose it that he will never be separated from the love of God. These are all the things he writes over and over again to these people in Rome, in the, book, in the letter to Romans. You know, and, and some of y'all in here are having really rough days, really rough weeks, you know, maybe really rough, you know, months or even seasons of life. And when you're going through that, it is very easy to feel like God is mad at you 
or God is punishing you, or or at the very least, God is just kind of uncaring and distant. But if you're a Christian this morning, that that is not what God is. That is not who God is to you. That if you're a Christian, Paul is reminding us in his letter, and you're being reminded this morning that you are secure in the love of Christ. That Paul knows that despite his present circumstances on his trip to Rome, it does not dictate how God feels about him. That Paul knows he's accepted and loved in Christ. So, for instance, he doesn't care about how people view him. You know, Paul has this very strange confidence throughout these, this passage, you know, to stand up to his captors, to stand up to various kings and governors, to stand up, you know, to, to native tribe people that he doesn't even know that well, you know, to speak to Roman Jewish people and Gentiles, you know, the boldness to speak truth to people. And, and I think so many of us, at least I can speak for myself, fear man and their opinion of us. You know, I am a huge people pleaser. I talked about that a little bit last week. You know, that, that I fear man, that, that I need everybody around me to like me, that no one can look down on me, that if anybody is upset with me, it drives me crazy until I can change their mind. And yet here in this passage, almost humorously, we see, you know, kind of how inconsistent and unstable, you know, relying on people's opinions of you are. You know, look at this kind of humorous, in a sense, although it probably wasn't humorous at the time to Paul, a viper story. You know, that you have this sense where here's Paul, you know, and, and this viper comes out and strikes him. And immediately the natives look at, you know, the native people there see this snake bite him. And immediately they're like, he's cursed. He's a demon. There's something wrong with this person to, to be, you know, bitten by a snake like that. And then, of course, nothing happens to Paul. He doesn't die like most other people who would have been bitten by the snake. And so what happens to them immediately, he's no longer the cursed demon. Now he's a god. He's the best. He's somebody maybe even worthy of our worship. And I think about that and I think about that is, you know, that is life as a people pleaser. One minute you're a demon. The next minute you're God. And it really has nothing even to do with you often. You know, this is the story of all of my human relationships. You know, that we're fickle, that we're, that we're driven by this. And, and further, we'll never find kind of ultimate security in another person except for Jesus. That, that even friends, spouses, parents, roommates, you know, families will let you down will sin against you, that your security must ultimately come from Jesus and who Jesus says you are and being in him. You know, no one else will accept you unconditionally, you know, even after you continually mess up. No one else offers free grace but Christ. And Paul sees great freedom. You know, in 2629, he's able to say, while naked in chains to governors and kings and people with everything in life that I wish y'all were like me. You know, I wish y'all didn't have these chains I have, but everything else, I wish y'all were like me. 
I want you to share in my joy that is the joy of being loved by God and knowing you're loved by God. The free grace of the gospel. That's what Paul's trying to get across to Festus. Now, however, and I say that, and it can be very tempting for us to say, oh, we just need to be more like Paul here. We need to have faith more like Paul and be more like Paul. However, we see that Paul is not this super Christian with super faith. That God provides for him in two unbelievable ways during this time. It's one of the reasons why I want to read those extra passages. At least twice in these passages, God comes to him personally and gives him his never-failing word. You know, in 2311, during the Jerusalem trial, God comes to Paul and assures him. Then again, he comes to him in the storm crisis and assures him he's going to be at Rome. And God didn't have to do this, but God wanted to bring his word to Paul. Another way that God provides Paul is with Christian fellowship. You know, Luke and area, uh, I always get this name, pronounce this name poorly, but Aristarchus uh, go with him. They go with him throughout this whole journey. You know, three times throughout this text, he meets with the brothers, which is Christian women and men, you know, who are, who are friends, who are with Paul, who are supporters of Paul, who come and offer him encouragement. It gives Paul great courage and confidence. And so it shows us that it's not be more like Paul and, and be some super Christian, but it shows us that we need these things, that we need God's word and we need Christian fellowship. That we need God's word. You know, and it, it comes with multiple promises to us. It helps us to remember who we are in Christ. You know, and this is what Paul had in his visits from Jesus. And, and, it, and it's crazy for sometimes for us to think about it. But, but all the apostles write that, that despite them getting to experience Jesus in person. And, 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 and Jesus visiting them that we now have something even more strong, more, even stronger and more certain, which is his word. That we didn't have all the, that they didn't have all the writings of the New Testament like we do. That, that the Holy Spirit works through his word in a powerful way and we have that. And that's kind of a hard concept for us to understand just that, that we do have God coming to visit with us through his word. And that we also need Christian fellowship. You know, for, for the silly parts of life, but also for the really hard parts of life. You know, that, that Christian fellowship gets us out of our own heads. You know, it allows people to suffer with you. You know, to, to bear some of your burden with you so that you do not feel alone. You know, and we always talk about uh, in our leadership meetings in RUF that we want RUF to be a safe place. You know, where you can be yourself because Jesus loves you but that you can also open yourself up to Jesus changing you. But that you'll be surrounded by people who are living and struggling alongside you in that journey. That we need fellowship. We need people to remind us of his grace. We need people to give us perspective, you know, to remind us of our identity and the security that that brings. You know, we need Christian fellowship. We need people in our lives that will celebrate with us but that also will mourn with us. So we need both God's people, Christian fellowship, and God's word together to show us that our failures and our sins, that that an accusing world, 
that, that are bullies, that that terrible voice in your head that brings shame about every area, that those are lies and that those things do not define us, but that our worth is in Christ. Because we so often forget the truth of the gospel and that God defines us as his perfect, beloved daughters and sons. And we need his word and and Christian fellowship to remember that. We also see that Jesus didn't just give Paul this great identity. He also gave Paul a new purpose. And uh, so I was, back when I was an RF campus minister at UT Chattanooga, I had a student in Chattanooga um, who was a big Walking Dead fan. And so that was our one-on-ones where it was him updating me on Walking Dead and zombies. He loves zombies. And, and I remember talking to him and he said, can I admit something to you? And I was like, okay, uh, you can admit something to me. Um, and he said, you know, one of the reasons why I think I like Walking Dead so much is because I think I actually would rather live in that world. And I sat back and I was like, that's interesting. So you'd rather live in this dystopian world of zombies where civilization, you know, is gone as we know it and you could die at any moment rather than sort of our first, you know, first world comfortable life that we live right now. He's like, yes. It's like, really? He's like, why, why would you rather do that? And he's like, well, I just think like there's just, you know, in that world, I just feel like I would have purpose. I would know exactly what I'm doing. And I would just be taking, you know, comfort in just the little things like a meal and, and another day. And, and it just seems like it's simpler. You're just surviving than today. And, and I found that very interesting and also kind of a take on sort of our first world problems uh, that we have in this life and, and his dealing with anxiety and thinking that, you know, being chased around by zombies would be less anxious than the world he lives in now. Um, but, you know, I think about how often today we can feel purposeless. You know, whether that's my college students in the middle of semester, kind of having these moments of like, what am I doing? Why am I studying this? Where am I going in life? Like, life is just blah. You know, to, to the middle life, midlife crisis that we can have uh, in a sense of just, you know, what is my life? What am I doing? You know, what's my legacy? Where am I going? These sorts of questions you know, that we can just, and we can even just start kind of creating drama. We can get bored with life or just kind of frustrated, lack purpose. You know, even I mean, there are times when uh, uh, Lee and I will be fighting and Lee will be like, what are you doing? Why are you, why are you picking fights with me? Are you just bored? And I'm like, well, no, I'm frustrated. And, and then it's like, well, and then I like start to think about it. It's like, maybe I am just bored. What's wrong with me? Um, and, you know, that's, that oftentimes we have forgotten as Christians what our purpose is. You know, that we can kind of live in this world of sort of law and boredom. But we've forgotten that we were called to be witnesses, which is a word that's repeated throughout the book of Acts as to what the early church is supposed to be. We're supposed to be witnesses. And, and going back to that, that book I talked about earlier, The Children of God, that novel, you know, that, that in that novel, very early on, uh, there's rumors and a discovery that a child might have been born, that there actually might be a new baby in, in this world of no youth. And, and you find that all of a sudden, all these characters, some kind of sort of evil characters, virtuous characters, but all these people begin to change their lives in order to protect this baby. In order, you know, to discover if this baby is really true. 
And, and, and all the entire narrative shifts around, you know, finding and protecting this baby because it's hope. You know, and suddenly the characters are risking their lives and their comfort and suffering greatly to preserve this hope of a new child. You know, their own pursuit of happiness has all of a sudden been hijacked by this greater hope and purpose. You know, the future of mankind. They no longer think as consumers, but now as people with purpose. And for Paul, Jesus has come and brought hope and life to a broken world. And, you know, and and the gospel, this new identity transformed his purpose to want to bring that message to everyone. That Paul had been blessed, so now he wanted to go and be a blessing, you know, to the Jews and then to the Gentiles. You know, that, that we can give up sort of our temporal, earthly security and comfort and pleasure when we know that we eternally have this stuff and now bring it to others through sharing the gospel in word and deed. You know, as we talked about earlier, loving our neighbor as ourselves. You know, going from a consumer to a creator and to a blesser. This is why Paul is willing to suffer now. He's, wanting, he's willing to do it because he wants to bring the freedom of the gospel to others. And so Paul, while in chains, continues to witness to everyone around him. You know, uh, Paul writes most of his letters in the New Testament from jail. He heals people. You know, on the shipwrecked island, he saves prisoners and guards. He even, because, you know, we see this because he was bitten by a snake, he was even out while in chains collecting sticks for the fire. Um, you know, uh, William and I, uh, my kids and I just finished watching the season, the last season of Survivor. And one of the always funny things about Survivor, the show where people are on this like deserted island, is like people are about to always vote somebody out. And then everybody's like, well, but, but you know, he always gets all the sticks for the fire. And then that's like an immediate way of getting saved. You know, nobody wants to vote out the guy who always is collecting sticks for the fire. And I always think about that with Paul, that Paul, despite all of this, he was that guy. That he was the guy who was always making sure I want to take care of everybody else. You know, his purpose was to be a blessing, to love his neighbor, whether they be friend or enemy, whether they be people who think he's a cursed demon or whether they be people that think he's a God. He was going to try to bless them. You know, he breaks bread throughout this passage with his accusers, his captors, with with criminals, with Jews, with Gentiles, with multiple races, with men and with women, multiple genders. He's witnessing while in chains. And he's not it's not always about going somewhere, but about being faithfully present where he is. And the people around him being blessed by him. Um, a famous, you know, quote uh, by David Foster Wallace um, that I read often, um, you know, by his famous commitment speech. Um, he, he says this, And the so-called real world will not discourage you from operating on your default settings. Because the so-called real world of men and money and power hums merrily along in a pool of fear and anger and frustration. And craving and worship of self. Our own present culture has harnessed these forces in ways that have yielded extraordinary wealth and comfort and personal freedom. The freedom all to be lords of our tiny, skull-sized kingdoms, alone at the center of all creation. But of course, there are all different kinds of freedom, and the kind that is most precious you will not hear much talk about in the great outside world of wanting and achieving. 
The really important kind of freedom involves attention and awareness and discipline and being able truly to care about other people and to sacrifice for them over and over in myriad petty, unsexy ways every day. You know, and, and I think this is what Paul, Paul found a new kind of freedom, a freedom to care about people. You know, Paul could have been like, I told y'all not to sail, so y'all can go collect your own sticks, you know? Uh, you know, and then, you know, I gave you a calming speech during the chaos. You know, I many times kept the guards and the prisoners from killing each other. You know, I did all these things. You know what? Y'all can take care of yourselves. Y'all can gather your own sticks. And yet he doesn't. Because the gospel gave him freedom to love people in the little ways. And I think this is huge for us. You know, that, that Paul, in a time, and we live in a time now, where it's very easy to choose fear and power over love and charity and grace. It very much is. But Paul knew that the gospel has real power, not because of him, but even in his weakness, even in his failings, the gospel has power. And it gave him purpose. You know, Paul couldn't be in any more weak of a position here. He's in chains. Yet look, you know, at verses 30 and 31. The gospel was without hindrance. That nothing can stop the gospel. You know, another RUF campus minister um, on our little email listserv put it uh, this way. Look at how far the gospel has come in the book of Acts to Rome. What began in a small upper room in Jerusalem with a bunch of scared Jewish men has now spread to the capital of the known world. The last words in the original language of Acts are dramatic. It says Paul preached boldly and without hindrance. Think about it. Paul is in chains physically and yet the gospel is unchained. It is gone and continues to go forth. Second, look how much Paul has changed When we first meet him in Acts 7, he is a racist, angry, bloodthirsty man who loved Jewish people to the exclusion of all others. Now at the end of the book, he is a man committed to seeing the gospel go to every tribe and race on the planet. He is now a man who can say that he takes no count of his life and as best we can tell, never made it back to his beloved homeland. The gospel has turned him inside out. It's because he has a new purpose. Do you know that God is at work through you in major, amazing ways? You know, and some of them aren't very sexy or cool. You know, you're not going to get a magazine piece written up about, you know, taking out the trash and doing the dishes and changing diapers. Or just, you know, a kind word to your neighbor at the right time. Or just doing your job well. So that your employer or co-employees feel like there's something different about you? That the gospel is changing the world through you. And that despite our weaknesses and our failures, God is using us. The kingdom of God is coming to earth as it is in heaven through you. You know, by your studying, by your competing in athletics, by your working, by your resting... You know, even when you fail, the gospel is shown forth by the fact that Jesus still loves you. 
God is using you to bring blessing to the world. What a purpose. And then finally and very quickly, Paul had hope in a certain future. So while Paul has real wants and needs, they do not overwhelm his certainty that he has eternal security, eternal comfort, and eternal pleasure in Christ. And even when they do, God's word and his friends come around him to remind him of the gospel. And to remind him that someday Jesus is going to return. And that all our fears and all our pain and all the stuff that has been done to us, all the ways that we've been sinned against, will be completely gone forever. You know, if you're a Christian, we have this certainty with Paul. We have the hope of the new heavens and the new earth with a perfect, never-changing, always-loving God who's going to be with us for eternity. You know, and so take your greatest joys, the best parts of your life, whatever they are. You know, when someone told you they loved you and you actually thought they meant it. You know, a great kind of aesthetic or sublime experience, you know, with a work of art or music. The joy of just a job well done or a finished project. You know, feasting and drinking at a party of friends where you knew everybody and weren't insecure in any way. Being told you really matter and have greatly impacted somebody's life. You know, great conversation with the person who knows you most in the world. Scoring the winning touchdown. Coming from behind to win the race. You know, that hike with friends and the unbelievable view. That one moment where you're actually at peace with who you are. The feeling of holding a newborn baby. The day your parents or siblings actually loved the way, loved you the way you wanted them to. The day you looked in the mirror and said, not bad, not bad. The day you were so happy you momentarily forgot about the abuse and the scars and the trauma of your past. You know, real intimacy with another person who loves you. Whatever that or those wonderful moments are in your life, this is what the new heavens and new earth will be like. Except it will be greater because it will be experiencing those moments continuously all the time and for eternity. The best moments and feelings of your life forever. So you see, for Paul, when it came to living for temporary stuff, Or for the eternal, it was no contest. His identity in Christ, his newfound purpose, and his certain future with Jesus and his people gave him the power to live with real freedom despite his present circumstances. Let's pray. Honey Father, I thank you for your love. I thank you for who you are. I pray that... um, that uh, you that you will feel real to us this morning, Lord, and this week. Uh, I pray that you will really f- continue to bring around us a great community of people who love us, and I pray that um, that you would give us real freedom, uh, especially as we come to your table. I pray this in your name, Amen.